If you're joining us, welcome online. Uh, it's good to see you. We've been working through uh, Galatians and uh, we're at verse 21 of chapter 4 now. And it's been quite a tour as we've worked our way through the scriptures and understood some of the truths that have come, that have been um, uh, powerfully um, uh, thought in terms of Paul's narrative and what he was um, highlighting. This part of the scripture, verse 21 through to 31, is a challenge in terms of what is Paul trying to communicate here. At many levels, this passage of scripture communicates a message to the church of Galatia. It communicates into our own wilderness of our lives. It communicates a a sense that if you feel trapped, then there is freedom in Christ. He's communicating to the agitators in the church about getting rid of them. But at the same time, he's communicating a profoundly deep uh, spiritual truth about freedom and setting us up for chapter 5 and for the work of the Spirit and all that God is doing and moving and working. So when you look at this scripture, you and I, we have to realize that he's communicating at numerous levels. So let's begin as we start to look at this scripture and think about this and, um, and just, uh, uh, I really do pray because there's some amazing truths in this scripture that God will speak to you powerfully. But his first one, he says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? By the way, you may not realize this in the Greek, he's being a bit sarcastic here and a bit humorous. I mean, it lacks a punchline, but he's going, really? Mm, You want to live by the law? Do you not know what the law says? Do you not know how tough, how difficult, how hard it is? Really, you're consuming the law, but you don't understand the heart of the law. You're consuming scripture, but you still don't. It's the scripture and everything you're consuming isn't bringing you life. It's actually bringing you death. So you, don't, you think you understand the law, but you don't understand the law. You don't understand what's involved. And I want you to know, and there's these moments when, when Paul uses a sarcastic tone to really challenge the person. Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. Of course, this is the story of Hagar and Sarah. Now, can I, first of all, Paul makes it clear that he's using this story as an example, as allegory, as a metaphor to two ways of trying to solve a problem and two ways of moving forward. And these two ways, although he's referring to one way as the law and flesh and curse and the other way as promise... These two principles apply to our lives today in a remarkable way. He's talking and introducing about the process by which we, you and I, and by which people become children of God. Now, he uses this as a story, as a metaphor to explain. And I'd like to say at the beginning... That here, as he talks about Hagar, and we read the story of Hagar and Ishmael, I want to remind you that God loved Hagar. 
that God loved Ishmael. That even though there is a story that is about sadness and outcast and brokenness, the Lord himself came to that first single mother and blessed her and was with her and comforted her and gave her words of encouragement. And that is the heart of God. That God comes to us, no matter who we are, no matter if you're a slave woman in the home of an ancient leader in Abraham, God loves each one of us in each generation and God loves each one of you. But here we have a family dynamic. And the family dynamic is this. That God had given a promise to Abraham and Sarah that they would have a baby. That God would bless them with a baby. But the problem was, Sarah was old. Okay? That's not, I mean, I often say when I teach about this, about words from the Lord and promises in the Bible. I mean, she was over 90. How many of you would like to claim that promise to have a baby over 90? Mm, I can see your, maybe some of your eager. My wife's not here this morning, so I'm going to behave myself. But, but... But there was this promise. But the promise seemed what? It seemed impossible, but God had spoke it. God had said it. He had committed himself. He had promised that this great family would have a son who would become a great nation. So what did Abraham or did Sarah do? Organized something and initiated something in human flesh and said, sleep with Hagar, the slave girl, and there have a child. And as a result, we have an heir. No, that is wrong because what they were trying to do was solve a problem in human strength rather than through believing in the power and the reality of God. And there is a problem that often that we are too eager to solve a problem in human strength rather than believing that God can come through and work. So he's teaching on a number of levels. Number one, he's calling Hagar and Ishmael the work of flesh, the work of law, the work of man's initiative to gain something and think that will get them to the result or that they're looking for to become processed into the family of God. And Paul says, that's not how you get into the family of God. The way that you get into the family of God is simply by believing the promise that came through Abraham, that came through Christ, and that salvation comes through faith, believing in Christ, not through the flesh, because the flesh leads to curse, but through the promise of faith, because that leads to God's blessing. It's about who initiated what. So if it's God initiated, God will do it. If it's human initiated, then it will end up in failure. And Paul is making the point is that if you try and find salvation through works and through the law, you will fail But if you follow God's initiation through Christ on the cross, then you will succeed. But the interesting point is this for you and I. That we can depend upon human initiative rather than depending upon God's initiative and the promises of God in your life. 
So what do you need for the promises of God in your life? Well, the first thing that he's actually communicating is this, that you and I, we just need to learn to trust. We need to learn to trust that God is with us, that God loves us, that God cares for us. And if God said it, God will do it. We need to learn to be a people of trust. And that is a problem that humanity finds difficult. We find it difficult to trust that God will come through to us. You see, we need another thing when it comes to trust. And it's something we're not very good at. It's a little word that we don't like. And when you're in the middle of a problem, it's hard to believe that God's initiative will work and you want to solve it yourself. And this word is patience. We need patience to believe that if God said it, God will do it. We need patience to believe that the prayers that you prayed will be answered. We need patience to believe that the call of God that is on your life to do things for the King of kings and Lord of lords will happen in the right time. But often what we don't have is real patience and trust to believe that God will come through. So it's two ways of viewing life. There is one by human initiative, human strength, and human ability. And there's another way that comes through the strength and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit that comes by trusting God in our lives. So for it is written that Abraham had two sons, by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. But his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. And I guess where each one of us needs to start to live is believe in the divine promise that comes through Jesus Christ. These things are being taken figuratively. A metaphor, allegory in some versions. The woman represented two covenants. One covenant is for man's eye. That bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Zion in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you could look at these statements and go, what is Paul actually talking about? So first of all, he's talked about two ways, two covenants, and he's talked about one that comes out of slavery and one that comes out of freedom, and he's saying that they are in slavery if they aim to follow the law. But then it changes to this great picture that he declares and uses Isaiah 54 verse 1 and it says, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than, than of her who has a husband. 
What is Paul trying to tell us? What Paul is trying to tell us is this. That in your desolate barrenness of your life, the law will never bring life and flourish. But for those of us who feel desolate, for those of us who feel lost, remember this is Isaiah 54, the nation feels desolate, it feels lost, there is no hope, there is no future, there is no, no opportunity. He is saying in Christ, the only way you will experience fulfillment, the only way you will experience flourishment in your life. The only way you will grow is to believe in the promise of Christ because the law does not create life, but Christ creates life. And where you are barren, where you are alone, where you are desolate, where you feel there's no hope, where you put your trust in an earthly Jerusalem, you need to put your trust in a heavenly Jerusalem. And when you put your trust in what God is doing in heaven, your barrenness, your brokenness, he will come and move into your life and you will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. But what does this mean practically, Paul? It means this. It means simply this, theologically. That out of nothing, God can create something. Now let me back up and explain this. You see, out of nothing, God can create something. So I want to say to you, your life may feel like nothing. You may feel barren. You may feel alone. You may feel pressed on every side. But out of your nothingness, if you believe the promise of Christ, God can bring something wonderful. God can work. So let's back it up again. Let's think about this. Out of nothing, God can create something. You look at the very beginning of Genesis, where there was nothing except the Spirit of the Lord hovering on the waters. And what happened out of the nothingness of creation? God spoke and the heaven and earth came together. God has the ability to create the whole cosmos out of nothing into something. You look at Sarah's womb. She was an old woman with no hope. She was never going to get pregnant humanly. But out of the barrenness of her life, God spoke it and a great nation was born out of a promise. You look at Mary's life and that she was a virgin. Impossible for a virgin to get pregnant. But out of that, God spoke and brought the saviour of the world to us. You look at the empty tomb where Jesus Christ was dead, lying there, having been crucified and gone through the most horrific time and was dead and gone and in the tomb. But at the nothingness and the barrenness of a tomb, God spoke and on the third day, Jesus Christ rose again victorious. Out of nothing, God creates something. So you may feel today... That in the nothingness of your debt, what can God do? You may feel today in the nothingness and the barrenness of your family situation, what can God do? 
You may feel in the middle of sickness in your family and it feels barren and it feels tough and it feels hard and you're traveling through hard days. In the middle of that pain, what can God do? You may feel like life is against you on every level at work and in life and you're feeling barren. You feel desolate. You wonder how you're going to cope. But the truth is this, that on another level, what Paul is communicating, that in Christ Jesus, in the middle of the most difficult situations of your desolation, out of nothing, God can do something. You just have to believe the promise that God initiates. Don't believe that you have to solve it in your strength, in your power, in your flesh, because that's the way of slavery, the way of freedom is believing the promises of God through Christ Jesus and the work of the cross. But he goes deeper than that. So if we take it number one, we talk about God initiated promise, therefore be a people of promise, not a people of law. Number two, he uses the prophecy about barrenness to say to us, In the middle of your nothingness, in the middle of your pain. But doesn't it go deeper than that? Because although I've talked about debt, although I've talked about family strife, isn't it true that the real barrenness that we feel in our lives is often the vacuum that we experience in our own heart? And we're longing for God to birth something. And we're believing that God will do something in our lives. And isn't it true that we've got to be willing to say, yes, Lord. Whatever you want to birth in me, Lord Jesus, you birth in me. Lord, you come. You come and work. Now, you brothers and sisters like Isaac are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. He goes back to sibling rivalry. I don't know if you've had an older brother or you've had that sibling rivalry that has existed. It can be a terrible thing. In this home, in the ancient Hebrew, that, you know, um, Ishmael would laugh at Isaac. In fact, in some ancient texts, he used to take arrows and, and point them and send Isaac off. And as he was running off, he'd shoot arrows at him. And you might go, well, that's, no, that's what Canadians do all the time. Uh, I had a little brother, send him in the bush. And I used to, you know, shoot Pellets at my little brother. He's, uh, he didn't talk to me for a long time. Uh, but, but we got over it. He's five years younger than me. You know, and I was the older brother. He was the younger brother. I never wanted him around, particularly when I discovered girls. And he kept, kept following me everywhere. And, and even when I was, I remember one day I was killing ants with a hammer. And he said, Phil, what are you doing? I said, go away. I'm killing ants. He said, that looks exciting. Go away. And then he put, looked over my shoulder, and then I hit him in the head with a hammer. Um, he survived. He's now, I talk to him every day on WhatsApp. It's amazing. It's a miraculous. God's healed his wounds, spiritually and emotionally. But there's a sibling rivalry 
that is existing in this narrative between two members of the same family battling against each other. Now, Paul's using it on one level to do with the agitators. Those who are preaching false doctrine to say that they are shooting arrows at you, they are persecuting you, and they're trying to rob you of your promise and get rid of you and your inheritance. On another level, he's saying really that in our own lives, you and I still have the battle between the work of the flesh and the work of the spirit. We still have the battle between our ability to run our own lives and believing in the power and the strength and the anointing of God in our life. There's that battle going on. And what Paul is really saying here is, is if you're in slavery, root out what is enslaving you and step into the freedom because whatever enslaves you, it is time to be free. Now, on one level, he's talking about bring church discipline, deal with the agitators, deal with those that are preaching the wrong gospel, get them together, and if they don't repent, dig them out, get rid of it, because you're going to end up being enslaved. But on another level, he's saying to us, within our hearts and within our lives, there can be that battle, as it were, between freedom and slavery, and we know, as Christians, where that battle line is, and we know know as Christians where we are enslaved and where we are battling and where we are not finding freedom and what Christ wants to do is come and to set us free because in Galatians 5 verse 1 he says for freedom Christ has come to set us free so how does this work for a Christian I met a gentleman and he spent all his life in church. He'd been an elder and he was a manager of a uh, haulage company. And they sent trucks across the border. Big man, actually. He's, you know, six foot five, wide, strong, not university trained, but he was you know, a good manager sending and organizing all the trucks across the border, backwards and forwards. And they, into the company, they brought in a new young guy, you know, executive, got his MBA, was able to, said he was so good, kind of irritated this guy, the Christian, and and they wanted him to be trained and to take on everything, and he trained him in how to get the trucks across the border, and then it all went wrong one day, and he handed over the contracts, the contracts all went wrong, the trucks were at the border, they didn't get across the border in the one hour time limit they had, and this guy, a good Christian man, was so mad, was so angry, true story, comes into the office, picks that young MBA manager up like this and shakes him and says, what do you think you're doing? And then proceeds to push him across the office into the drywall and boom, through the drywall. That is not a very good witness for Christ. His boss came to the side of him and said, you know, brother, You really need to deal with that anger problem in your life. That poor young lad. I know, I know. 
You see, this is a case that what it says on the tin is that Christ has set us free. But what we know in reality is that we're still enslaved to certain areas within our lives. With this anger, with this jealousy, with this resentment, with this bitterness, with this unforgiveness. The reason I know this man well is because he was one of the first, I met him at the very first set free that we ran over eight years ago at Green Bay. He came, he had the courage to battle the power of, of the fight within himself where the arrows were coming and where there were two ways battling within him and he knew what to do and he knew what was wrong and he brought them to the Lord and through, through set free, he prayed for God's forgiveness. He prayed for God's, God's power and today that man is so wonderfully transformed by the spirit and the power of God. He's unrecognizable and for the last seven years has lived in freedom because the Lord set him free of his anger. Now, two ways to live. You either live in slavery or you live in freedom. But it gets a bit complicated with the heart of the Christian, doesn't it? Because we all know that within us, they're the agitators of our life and our character that cause us to react and be the way that Christ would not want us to be. But often we don't have the courage to deal with it. And at that time, the son born according to flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. Don't you feel sometimes that you know you're born by the power of the Spirit, but internally you feel as if you are being persecuted by something else? Think of Romans when he says, when Paul writes, and he says, you know, what I want to do, I don't do, but what I don't want to do, I do. Who will deliver me from my body of sin? It's Christ that delivers us. And so... But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share the inheritance with the free woman's son. It's hard for us to imagine this because it seems so hard because we personalize it. Remember, this is allegory. Remember, he's using a story to illustrate a battle in a local church of false doctrine and also a battle within the human Christian condition of our own hearts. And so what does he simply say? As Sarah declared, he said, get rid of the slave woman. In other words, get rid of of what you are battling with in your life. Get rid of that issue. Have the guts to stand up and say, I'm going to get rid of that that is holding me back. I'm going to get rid of that issue. I'm going to get rid of that pain. I'm going to confess that sin. I'm going to confess that attitude. I'm going to confess that internal battle. I'm going to confess that resentment. I am going to get rid of that which enslaves me because if the Son has set me free, I am free indeed. So where do we land this? I mean, it's 
It's not a straightforward piece of scripture. But it's glorious. This is where we landed. Number one. Always follow what God initiates. And believe in God's promises for your life. Try not to live in your own flesh and do it your own way. Do it by listening to the voice of the Spirit and the Word of God and the living Word of God. Because when you truly listen to what God speaks to us, that's where there is freedom in His promise. Number two. The promise of Christ is that in our barrenness and in our struggles and in our desolation, he can speak life and bring fruit. And if you are waiting for God to do something in a situation, keep believing and have the trust and have the patience that God will come through and he will work. Number three, if you know that something is, has trapped you, something is holding you, something has put you in a place where you know that that has to be cast out, it has to go, has to change, you have to be renewed, then have the courage to step forward and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to deal with that part of my character because for freedom, Christ came to set us free. And it takes courage to travel this way. It takes courage to deal with the internal battles of of the sibling rivalry between the flesh and the spirit to become men and women of God. It's a battle. And that's why in chapter 5, he lists sins. He lists fruits. He lists the work of the Spirit. He starts to talk about freedom. He starts to talk about life. He starts to talk about what Christians are born to do. To be free. And so, therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free Brothers and sisters, we are not children of the world. We are not children of man's wisdom. We are not children of darkness. We are not children of sin and death. But we are children of inheritance. We are free children. For if Christ has set us free, we are free indeed. But that battle is a battle that is real for every one of us. And the only place that battle is truly dealt with is at the foot of the cross and the power of the gospel. And knowing that it's only through the power of Christ that we can be freed. So what are you going to do? What are you going to move forward? Are you going to move forward into freedom? Perhaps for some of you, the first step is, you may have done it in the past, but the first step is again to step in to set free, sign up for the weekend and say, actually, I've got some business to do spiritually, so I experience freedom. 
We all are on a continuous process of sanctification and of dealing with areas in our life. And I want to invite you not to back off, but to step into the process because freedom is the most beautiful thing in Christ. And for those of you that feel like you're desolate and you're barren and you're waiting, can I encourage you, trust and be patient and invite God to birth what he's going to birth in your life now. Whatever God's going to do, how he's going to work. Let's stand together.